And during all the years the Wax Museum has been on the air, what, some eight, nine years, uh, certain programs have uh, attracted the attention of the audience more than others, but one thing is certain, uh, the Montessori technique as against that of child development or approaches to education concerning the preschool child, uh, the series of programs on the station, has attracted far, far more attention, discussion, controversy than any series or single program <laughs> during the past uh, 10 years or so. And so this morning you might call not so much confrontation, because obviously there is no one approach to the education of the preschool child, but this morning will be a gathering of two schools of thought, Dr. Urban Fleege, who was the vice president of DePaul University and one of the leading exponents in our city of the Montessori school technique, and Hannah McLaren, who was a teacher of the Ancona School Society on the south side that engages in the technique known as uh, Montessori's, of Maria Montessori. And whereas on the other side, we have Dr. Nur Littner of the Institute of Psychoanalysis and Faye Balling, who is now a guest lecturer at the Chicago Teachers College in nursery school education, representing uh, the non-Montessori approach, or what might be called child development. And since the last program, or the last several programs involving both Montessori proponents and the non-Montessori advocates, there's been a great deal of audience reactions. When will the two meet? And the twain indeed have met in our meeting today. So Dr. Fleege, I know you represent Montessori, and I know too you have been listening to the programs challenging it. I suppose the question immediately is conceptions, misconceptions, understandings, misunderstandings. The floor is yours, sir. Yes, studs. I um, <clears throat> must admit that I, it was impossible for me to catch all of your program the last time in which uh, our uh, two of the members around the, the table here this morning were discussing and rather raising questions, I presume, about this Montessori approach. Uh, I would first of all like to say that I wouldn't like to pose as a proponent, but rather as one whose uh, lifetime has been spent in child development and experimenting with it. And to my way of thinking, this represents so many of the uh, developments in uh, modern research that, uh, in fact, I find no other particular system of approaching the child that seems to involve and recognize the findings of research, uh, recent research, and hence we have um, become interested in experimenting in the application of these. Uh, about four years ago, we uh, helped found this uh, Alcuin Montessori School out in Oak Park, and uh, then the U.S. Office of Education became interested, and they asked, uh, they came out to visit it a number of times, and have given us a little grant to help evaluate and follow these children and compare them with others. And this is what the, in the pr uh, we are now in the process of doing that. Uh, from what I did hear of the discussion, and I'm sure all of these questions are raised with the best of goodwill, uh, I rather suspect that uh, some of them were based maybe on inadequate experience with the approach, uh, and uh, I would think largely misconceptions and uh, maybe misunderstandings, because I am sure that we, uh, we should be in agreement on uh, some of the basic principles that we know about how young children develop and the necessity of um, acknowledging individual differences and uh, the advantage of uh, uh, presenting children with learning exercises that are geared to their readiness levels and so on. Yeah. And so uh, I'm looking forward, uh, I'm sure as much as any of the listeners are, to the opportunity for an exchange of opinions this morning. And I would rather suspect 
that toward the end we will be more in agreement than in disagreement, uh, unless, of course, we uh, uh, somehow or other get jockeyed into a position of uh, drawing conclusions from maybe one or the other experience rather than an adequate uh, consideration of the total application of the program. Well, Dr. Flagerman, suppose we then pursue this further and perhaps enter the area of specifics. Uh, who you were I, about, I uh, Faye like Balling, you were about to say something? Yes, I, uh, <laughs> I would like to say that I, uh, this is exactly what I wanted to do this morning. Uh, that the, the first three lines on my little piece of paper for my notes are that if we would only def would define goals, we would have no disagreement. I am sure that your goals and our goals are identical. We want to uh, produce the best possible kind of child equipped to deal with the complex society in which he will be asked to, uh, to be. And the only place we disagree, and here I feel we will disagree quite fundamentally because the things that I have to say are very basic. Uh, we disagree. As I'm sure the Montessori yes, advocates would say yes, too. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, that uh, I'm not at all sure that we're going to agree at the end of the program. Well, let's let's <laughs> let, let, let that be determined right. by the audience. No, my point is uh, this. goals. You spoke goals of goals. Goals we agree on. Right. Uh, the way we the way we achieve them. The man. Okay, then suppose we the ask. The way we achieve the goals that we are uh, that we are looking for, I think, is what our difference would be. And I think if we uh, try to set up. What are our goals? And then okay. give some examples. Well, Hannah, Hannah McLaren, who I know uh, follows the Montessori technique at the Ancona School, what would you say, as a teacher, your experience, the goals are, or the credo of Montessori? Um, I believe it, it is in probably three areas. Um, the first one we would consider would be self-development of the child, um, an awareness of the self, of, of his ability to handle himself in situations, um, ability to maintain responsibility for himself, for others. This awareness in, um, of the child in, on this area. Also, particularly in the program which we develop, is this perception of sense, um, the acuity of the senses, the um, basis on which a child can evaluate clearly, can find and develop precepts which later lead on to more abstract concepts of thinking. And then I think, thirdly, um, the initiative that is developed in a child, so that the child is truly spontaneous. And I think it should be, I would go one step further in, in terms of saying the kind of child that we would want to develop would want, yes, who could live fully in the society, mm -hmm. but who could also work within the society and create and begin to be the uh, person who will seek the solutions for some of these uh, so far, insurmountable problems, yes. just the social problems. Well, Dr. Lipner, uh, in listening to Hannah explain the goals, I'm sure that you yourself find nothing to disagree with in these goals. What do you? No, I think that, as <coughs> Mrs. Balling said earlier, there probably is a fair degree of agreement on goals. Uh, there are other aspects, though, that perhaps I think there is a fundamental disagreement. Studs, I thought, uh, that perhaps what I might do to introduce my own remarks is to raise some of my own questions and try and summarize my own concerns and put it all on the table right here. Uh, I think that everyone probably is quite agreed that Maria Montessori was a brilliant woman far in advance of many others of her days, particularly in recognizing the crucial importance of the first six years of a child's life. 
and that I would say, just as Dr. Fleet said earlier, there is no question that we are all interested in trying to help children. But as I read the things that she and her followers have written, and I've been doing quite a bit of reading on it lately, and as I listen to some of their speeches, I am struck by some issues which, to my mind, are very fundamental issues and which raise the possibility in my mind that the entire Montessori movement is built on a theoretical quicksand. Now, I have three questions, two concerns, which relate to these fundamental issues. The first question uh, is a general one, and it has to do with the issue of arrogance. So many of the Montessori goals for children are goals that all of us are agreeing on and believing in. And yet, it is with great dismay that as I read the Montessori literature, the message that at least keeps coming across to me is that somehow these goals seem to be the exclusive possession of the Montessori movement. For example, we are told repeatedly that Maria Montessori said, never let a child risk failure until he has a reasonable chance of success. But somehow the statement frequently in my readings comes through with the implication that she invented the principle that has been copyrighted by the Montessori schools and that's only used by Montessori teachers, almost as though the average parent really hasn't heard about it, the average teacher is too stupid to use it. And I, I would raise this as a first question. Well, perhaps can hold it and perhaps yes, the second Let me, I'd rather, yeah. if I may, all, all go over the others and then we can come back because I, I would like to put on the, the table summer. my my own questions all about right. this. So Hannah and uh, Urban, keep that first one in mind. The other, another question that I would raise is what I uh, call for lack of a better expression and with a uh, tip of a hat and a direction of George Orwell, double talk. As an analyst who's worked with children for, for a long time, I agree wholeheartedly, Mrs. Bowling agrees, I'm certain, with many of the Montessori goals. But as I study some of the basic principles and techniques advanced for achieving this goals, time and time again I am impressed by the fact that the Montessori methods actually employed in reaching the goals probably will produce children with characteristics that are exactly opposite to the goals mentioned. For example, let's look at the issue of creativity. The Montessori schools attempt to encourage creativity in the child, as I understand it, by giving him specific predetermined jobs to do and then allowing him to discover at his own pace with the teacher's help when indicated how to accomplish these jobs. I would imagine that he develops a great deal of initiative in learning how to solve these problems. But as I understand creativity, this is not creativity, but a, the exact opposite, because I don't think that this kind of a method is the way one would try and produce leaders. That I would think this is the way one tries to produce ingenious followers. That as long as someone is around to tell them what to do, the overall task, they undoubtedly follow orders remarkably well. But I think, uh, to take a physical similarity, it's a little like a computer. You first program the child, and then you have to push the button. So ingenu ingenuity, this is, a this is a word I think is very applicable. Creativity, no. And in fact, when you combine this particularly, particular Montessori technique of the structured environment with another Montessori principle, 
which has to do with not allowing the child to freely fantasy. I gather that if he starts to fantasy while doing one task, uh, one tries to divert him by giving him another task, then it seems to me that what has been discovered is a particularly effective method for killing the child's spark <coughs> of spontaneity, originality, and true creativity. And this would be a second question. Let me go on to a third question. And this concerns the emotional impact of the uh, Montessori Dr. Lepner, method. I, I, I'm just curious, because right. I know this is there's a great deal of ammunition here for discussion, debate. Is the third one, how many do you have? I'm just curious. Because I'm thinking I about have three questions, table. two concerns. All right, this is the third one. This okay. is the third question. And it's the emotional impact of a Montessori method on the child. Speaking as a psychoanalyst, it's my impression that some of the children exposed to the Montessori method probably will tend to show delayed action emotional damage in later years and that this is because of a basic ignoring of the complex emotional needs of the preschool child. And I think that this emotional damage, if and when it occurs, will come from three sources. That the first source is a tendency to emotional isolation of the child, which seems to me to be a built-in part of the teaching method in the Montessori school. I gather that in most schools, the teacher-child relationship is considered the basic teaching school teaching tool, that is, in the child development school. But I also gather that in the Montessori school, this is not so, and that the Montessori child is programmed and conditioned to relate to the work items rather than to the teacher. This, I think, would be one source of his delayed action emotional damage. A second source it, of it, if it comes, would come from the interference by the Montessori method with the Montessori mo mother's uh, Montessori child's relationship with his own mother. As I see it, this interference result results in part from the Montessori school's attempts to take away from the mother functions that really belong to her, such as teaching cleanliness to a three-year-old. And in part, I think, the interference by the Montessori school in the mother-child relationship results from its attempts to program and automate aspects of the mother-child relationship right in the child's home. The very essence, I think, of a healthy mother-child relationship is a spontaneous emotional interchange and give and take between them. But the Montessori suggestions for home management of a child that I have read tend to mechanize this relationship and to destroy its spontaneity. I'll stop after this third source. I think that there is a third source for what I would consider a potential delayed action, emotional damage, and that's the straitjacket that I think the Montessori method tends to impose on the child and his emotions. The three-year-old Montessori child finds himself in an environment that, as far as I read, is basically interested in conformity, in order, in preciseness, in exactness, in silence, in politeness, in composure, and in obedience, all of which are very fine characteristics. But to apply them wholesale for all comers, I think in, an, in effect straitjackets some of the more vulnerable children. And I would predict that some of these vulnerable children, the only way they are able to get along is to program themselves by a pathological inhibition of their emotions. <clears throat> because I see, and a lot of psychiatrists sees, these very overly polite and overly compliant little ladies and gentlemen all the time. And we call them obsessive compulsive kids, and we have quite a difficulty of uh, trying to help them. Now, 
I, I'm talking too long at this point. I'll, I'll just put these three questions on the table, and I'll come back to my concerns yeah. later. And then uh, Dr. Lipner, Fine, please. I'll be very happy. Uh, Urban, please. Uh, yes, if uh, what Dr. Lintner presumes is the Montessori program, and evidently he presumes it because in every case he said it probably will produce children exactly the opposite of what the goals aim to achieve. <coughs> Excuse me. He says it probably will um, create uh, a delayed emotional reaction. If we could uh, agree with Dr. Lintner's assumptions, I would have to say, Dr. Lintner, you are so correct, I agree with you. Unfortunately, what Dr. Lintner has just done is built a wonderful straw man which any of us could uh, knock down. But unfortunately, it doesn't agree with the facts. And I would like to ask Dr. Lintner, how much time have you spent in a Montessori school observing these children so that you then might have some grounds for saying it probably wouldn't, but you've tested them, and this is what happens. Uh, how much time have you spent, for example, in observing Montessori children in the school? Uh, I haven't here. spent any time, Dr. Fleet, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, my comments are based on the study of the writings of Maria Montessori and her followers and on listening to several of Montessori speakers, including yourself. Mrs. Balling has carefully observed functioning in the schools and will be able to report on her own concerns. We did try, yeah. though, to visit. I, and pardon we me. Well, that, what I think might be a good ground. Good well, I would like to. But may, I, may I just finish some this? Of these. Right. It seems to <clears> me, <throat> though, that Dr. Fleege is avoiding the main issue because the issue is not how many hours I have spent in observing Montessori children. I think the question really is how accurate and how safe is the Montessori system and its theories? And I am suggesting, as I guess is rather clear, that some of these theories are pure hogwash, that some of them may result in a delayed action emotional damage to some of the Montessori children. And I think there are some other problems, too, which I'll come to. I think yes, we'll if we could, uh, points, yes, Dr. and we will touch them, but yeah. I say they represent an excellent straw man which we find no difficulty in, if we could assume that these things are correct, then uh, these consequences would be the result. Number one, <clears throat> the statement is made that Montessori seems to be rather arrogant and that in reading her book, she gives the impression that she invented uh, some she, of these... Uh, her followers. Her followers, her followers. Not she, her followers. Yes, well, of course, now, whenever you take anything out of context or out of the time in which it was written, if you took Dewey, for example, in his earlier writings, mm -hmm. without realizing what the pattern at that time was, you could not fully un understand correctly what he's trying to say. And I would suggest that the same is true in the uh, inference that you have drawn that she is arrogant. In mm -hmm. fact, she has stated that anything that I am saying, if you have read all of her writings, you will have come across this statement, I am not inventing anything new, but she was a wide reader. She was a tremendously interested in the work as a clinical psychologist in the work that was going on in Vienna with Freud. And consequently, this is one reason why she was so far ahead of her time. Psychoanalysis at the time she was writing was really uh, hardly known. And was neither was ago. the recognition of the uh, importance of what's happening to the child emotionally. Now that this has uh, come to be acceptable, uh, we are finding people fi going back to her studies and finding in them the very same things that I think Dr. Lintner uh, apparently does not see in them, but which does exist. 
So uh, without doubt, she uh, could not, I don't think, be accused of arrogance, except that she really said. Didn't, I think of the problems. Yeah. I think this this does happen very often, and it's I think one of the flaws of any kind of new movement. But we've run into. For instance, as a teacher, people come and observe my classrooms, and especially this summer I had a large number, and there was one teacher who said, yes, we have this and this and this, and I said, that's wonderful. That is really fine, because I think for most of us in Montessori, we really aren't concerned that the name Montessori sticks. It's, it's that this gets to every child, and the form gets to every child, and so the exclusive label, the patent, the copyright, <laughs> is really not what we're interested in. You know, and anybody can take it. I think this Hannah, is, pardon me, I think Hannah yes. may have a pointer that could mm -hmm. be the jumping off spot for the further discussion. Mm -hmm. I, I really do think that points two and three that were raised by Dr. Lipner are the ones to be yes. faced. And Hannah, mm -hmm. I think, and Urban agree. And uh, say, could I say a little yes. bit about uh, things that actually happen in the classroom? Yes. Because uh, I agree with you that when I first became uh, upset about this, the reason I became upset, <clears throat> upset was because the thing sounded so good on paper. And the things that I had read, even reading the things, sounded so good. And I thought, well, I'm going to see if it's true. And when I visited and I found that, by my definition, this was not creativity, when I saw the kinds of things that children wanted to do and were prevented from doing, when from my own knowledge of the things that children require in order to develop normally, these things were not available to them in a Montessori classroom. Yes, may I interrupt a minute, Faye? Now, yes. I, uh, this is the part that I heard on a previous program. Yes. Yes. And you cited something where the teacher interfered. All I can say is she violated Montessori theory. Uh, and nine times out of ten, I don't know how many times you visited the school, if you visited only once or twice, no, I, I think it is rather unfair to draw a general appraisal from such inadequate sampling of what's going on. Then suppose... But yeah. Certainly, I the principle is that if a child is interested in doing something, mm -hmm. now we do not happen to have angels teaching. There no. are human beings, they make right. mistakes, and in our weekly conferences, yes. <clears throat> we constantly are uncovering because of our supervisors, and they realize that, but they forgot or they lost. Well, then may, may I ask, since, since what I'm particularly concerned with, I have seen, and people I, who I, whose opinion I can trust, actually witnessed several procedures which I think are in your goals. Suppose, and we, your suppose we take the a specific tower. one. Let's talk about Let's the take pink specific tower. Things yes. have right. I've got a great example right. of this because yes. the pink tower, which should be put together in a specific way, correct? Mm -hmm. it's what is it? No, no, wait a minute. Yeah. It should be utilized in a specific right. way. It is presented to the child. The teacher shows the child how shows to do the build. one beginning way to do it. Right. right. How okay. to build the pink That's tower. That's at the beginning. Right. Yes. The beginning right. right. All right. Um, I one of the things that I uh, know actually that happened in our last discussion, Mrs. Chevalier told about how two children t were together on the morning of the Glenn, John Glenn's space flight, and they were discussing the space flight. And this discussion led to a wonderfully free uh, discussion among all the children of gravity and space and the kinds of things which you ordinarily do not consider in the curriculum, in a preschool curriculum. In the Montessori classroom on that same morning, two little boys were using the pink tower and they were pretending that this was the spaceship. The teacher came in and said, that is not the way you use the pink tower. She uh, took the children away, was told them how to use it exactly, and the result was that this wonderfully marvelous creative 
conversation was cut off. The two children left the thing, and they did not return to it. I have seen yes, may I this comment kind on of thing. What? It's not just one time, Dr. Mm -hmm. Fleege. Uh, Urban and then Hannah. Okay. Yes, I would say, Faye, that uh, this, I don't deny that you may have seen this, or it could have happened even a couple of times. But what I'm saying is the principle that mm -hmm. is involved is that yeah. spontaneous activity and to capitalize on the interests and the needs mm -hmm. of the children. Now, I have seen time and time again, for example, the number rods. Now, there mm -hmm. is a way of mm -hmm. working with these so that they get a number concept. Mm -hmm. But I have also seen children who will take this and imagine that this long thing are the wings of a plane, and he'll mm -hmm. be making noises. Mm -hmm. And the teacher um, permitted this to go on. So I think this is a momentary judgment of a teacher as to whether or not this is what she should permit or not. But the principle that's involved is spontaneous activity capitalizing on the needs of a child. I do not say, nor can any uh, system say that uh, every teacher at every time will uh, recognize the Montessori principles. You mean your goals that are stated that material should be used in prescribed ways is not so? This is true to achieve certain objectives. But then it is but so. But there is a role, and now I'm going to come to uh, Dr. Lentner's thing, about fantasizing. Could we come to the spontaneous activity? Yes, Wait, right just now. a moment. Right. Uh, no, no, if we can hear from Hannah. Hannah teaches at the Montessori School. This pink tower, the use of material. Yeah, yeah. Use. Hannah, how do you... Well, the, the, the thing, I think the implication, Mrs. Bowling, what you're saying is very misleading in that you presuppose that the only way a child can build is to put the largest on top of the smallest, etc. I don't presuppose. Well, no, this is what you're saying, that there's only one way of doing it. The no, I say that you say. No, no, Am no. I beca wrong? Yes, because you are wrong. Oh. Inherent in the apparatus is this visual discrimination of size. And this is, no matter how the child constructs this or what he calls it, it, I mean, we have arbitrarily called it a pink tower. Right. It's no more a pink tower than it could be a spaceship. Yes. But what we are concerned with, that when the child uses the apparatus, yes. that this, this sensory discrimination for which it is designed yes. is maintained throughout. And if he doesn't have this sensory discrimination the first time he comes to it, what happens to him? Then the he, keeps, he keeps building it until Supposing, he does. Supposing, right. because, because if a child comes with it already, yeah. then you would know that the actual learning function in the material is not necessarily, he's doing it for a pleasure principle, he's doing it for satisfaction, mm -hmm. he's doing it for aesthetic enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And a child doesn't come to the material capable of, right. of seeing all these discriminations. <clears throat> what I think, if, you, if he was just playing with them, for instance, and just building, yes. what we would do would be to channel him to other blocks where the child, if this is other what blocks, it, what yeah. other blocks? I other didn't blocks think. in the classroom, certainly. Uh, could we all come to this this notion of spontaneity? Because mm -hmm. yes. to my mind, this is one this of is the really cool. misleading use of the mm -hmm. word. That's right. Uh, I'm reading here from the um, Alcuin brochure. Right, the Alcuin brochure. Children should be introduced to the world of learning through a prepared environment in which specially designed apparatus and techniques are used to engage the child's mind at a given level of readiness in mastering a variety of tasks. And uh, here, for example, is the Alcuin story that's put out by you people. A brief explanation of the Montessori <coughs> apparatus, its meaning and purpose, exercise of, exercises of practical life. 
The exercises of practical life occupy a very important position in the Montessori education. Indeed, there are no more suitable exercises for a child of two and a half to five years of age. They are of paramount importance for complete and harmonious development of man, physically, mentally, and morally. These exercises consist mainly of two groups, those which have to do with the care of a child's own person, those which are concerned with the care of the environment. The first group includes the following activities, dressing and undressing, combing one's own hair, brushing of teeth, washing one's own hands and face, bathing, shoe shining, clothes cleaning, etc., etc. The second group includes such occupations as sweeping the floor, dusting, table washing, washing and ironing of, of clothes, arranging flowers, care of indoor plants, <coughs> setting the table, serving at the table, dishwashing, and numerous other household tasks depending on the civilization in which they are taking place. The lessons of grace and courtesy also belong to the exercises of practical life. They should be presented to the children in the same period of their development at the age of two and a half to five. This will include such matters as how to sit down and stand up properly, how to salute persons, how to beg pardon for small offenses, how to open and shut doors quietly, how to eat properly, etc. Furthermore, the development of balance and silence exercises are stimulated. The exercises of practical life well done promote the coordination of movement, orderliness, diligence, independence, self-confidence, and good intersocial behavior. There is no better way of acquiring a good social behavior than these exercises carried out properly and enthusiastically in childhood, and this leads to emotional balance and stability. And I, be I have here what I believe is, uh, but what is the, point the nurses, what the... Um, what is used for marking these children. Practical life, and there's a place to put a mark. Washing hands, buttoning, zipping, lacing, pinning, hooking, hooking bee, buckling, fastening, polishing shoes, dusting, sweeping mat, sweeping floor, washing table, watering plants, dusting yeah. leaves, arranging flowers. Dr. Lettner, the point that Hannah's raising, obviously you're objecting to what you you would refer to here as the structured environment. Well, I you, take. you said there is no now, better way. What is, what I'm is referring to yeah. the fact that these children who are supposed to develop spontaneity, this was the word, I don't think they're developing spontaneity. Now let me come They are honest. being conditioned, no, they are not. being programmed <laughs> to carry out a series of tasks okay. set for them by well, the adults. This is oh, easy, easy, Dr. Lintner, for you to comment this until you have actually been on the scene and noticed the spontaneity, the spontaneity, the uh, avidity with which these children enter into these activities. This is designed, not haphazardly, but in a programmed manner suited to their various readiness levels so that when a child can do one thing and then the next thing of difficulty, he can do this. This is to build, help him build within himself the building blocks for uh, social intercourse, for creativity, for doing other things uh, that might be in his environment. Now you mentioned before that it does not allow the child to fantasize. All I can say is this is absolutely incorrect. And consequently, since you state something that's incorrect, your conclusion, therefore, is that this kills within the child the um, ability to, uh, to be creative. And I would agree with you, if this were true, it simply isn't. Now, Dr. Fleege, I heard Mary Black on your program. Yes. That was the thing that sent me to the telephone uh, that June morning, so upset. 
uh, Studs asked her this question. Mary, what about fantasy that you, the Montessori people, have been accused of not allowing the child to fantasize? And she said, as you have said, that it wasn't true. And he said, could you give me an example of how it occurs in a Montessori classroom? And she said, well, for instance, when a child is working with the, with the matching of colors, I notice that the time when they begin to fantasize is when they know the material very well. And this little boy had completed the task of matching the colors, and he had done it over and over and over so that it really belonged to him. He had conquered it. And at that point, when it really he felt that he was in complete control of the material, he got a kind of a dreamy look on his face and began to mix them up and use them in the way in which they were not designed to be used. And at that point, the alert teacher steps in and removes the material and gives him the next thing in the complication order for him to follow. Now, at the point at which he is beginning to create, is the point at which, by her words, the material was removed. This is what I call creativity. Let's say Hannah. This is correct. Wait, uh, or Hannah, as a oh. teacher, and this, I know well, you're involved here. Who am I answering? I was going to answer either, Dr. Well, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Fleege and then a Faye um, in the case. Well, I'm... Uh, I mean, this well, let me just comment. You go on the Faye. Faye. You yeah. That actually, uh, it depends on the environment from which the children come. For example, if you have really children... Fight, Mrs. Ms. McLaren. We are we're going yeah. to answer this. Yeah. Uh, if your children come from an environment in which, for example, they do not have toys, they don't have dolls, they don't have opportunities to fantasize, this then becomes an essential part of the environment. If, however, your children come from an environment in which there is an adequate opportunity for this, but there are other areas in which they do not have a chance to develop and answer certain other needs, then it is the Montessori principle that you design the environment so as to help develop and answer those needs that are currently not being uh, answered in their home environment. For example, a Montessori classroom in the Cabrini Center, yes. where you have largely de culturally yes. deprived, yes. is quite different from an environment out, let's say, in the Oak Park River Forest area. And I would suspect that down at Ancona, I know it is somewhat different from out our way. But to say that uh, there is opportunity, it is an essential part of their development to teach them to be creative. But you can't be creative yeah. until you have the building box with which to build. Hence the Just prepared you say environment. It, it is Dr. Flake. It is true because we have been observing these children now for four years. Uh, you are philosophizing from your readings. Mm -hmm. We are engaged in an experimental Montessori approach. Montessori readings. Well, I, I don't know whether yours has been Montessori only. We have uh, uh, been, and I can cite for you, the experiments that are going on at University of San Francisco, yeah. at uh, UCLA, mm -hmm. at Oklahoma, at mm -hmm. Syracuse, mm -hmm. at Columbia, mm -hmm. at University of Illinois. Take Hunt, for example, who's just published a new book on intelligence, mm -hmm. J. McVee Hunt. Mm -hmm. yes. And uh, he uh, 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 points out the advantages of, of all this. Now, it, it might be true that at certain times a person would take something from a child, but you can't imagine having 25 children and a teacher is ready that as soon as he starts to get this dreamy eye that she takes material away no, from No, of course not. This we were talking about the principle no, of it. No. Yes. Uh, let's stick to Hannah. the race. Wait, uh, Hannah and then Hannah. Hannah. Uh, to go, I, I was going to answer to your, to the talk about the practical life, yeah. which is, is I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to read the other 15 yeah. things no, that got marked. Well, that. yes, because they're, they really are as creative as the teacher or they are introduced as the needs of the child are, are ascertained by the teacher. What, what is happening or how they are presented is that, that it frees the child from having 
an adult button his coat, from having an adult zipper his jacket. This is, happens in every nursery school, not only in Montessori. Then this is fine. This is really fine because it didn't used to happen. There was a time in nursery school education when this wasn't going on, when the children were, well, and we even in adult attitudes. And I think the implication is that this is only one way of doing it. And I think you will find that for every child, as a teacher I can say this very honestly, for every child there's a different way of polishing. There's a different way. There are the innuendos, the subtleties that you meet the child. What is a child going to respond to? And you may say, for instance, structure and exercise. And the reason they are structured is that the child then has a beginning, an end, and a middle, which frees him from the teacher. He can see it himself. It also has something that, in the Montessori jargon, is called um, points of interest. So if the child's interest is focused on it, he is doing it for himself and for, for his own satisfaction. And that in doing this, you may structure, to go back to structuring the exercise, with say um, four or five different points of interest. But for another child, there would be one, because this is all the child could handle. For another child, it may be extremely elaborate, because this child would get tremendous pleasure out of this manipulative task. And I think this is very, very important to, to, uh, to emphasize, that there isn't this one approach, this constant drumming that the child is pushed into, the child conforms to. It's really, we're bringing the method, bringing these insights to the child. I think and it is, one of this the response I is very important. Dr. Littner and then All right. uh, I want to take as my text on this issue of fantasy uh, a quote from Sid Harris that I read last time. How every child's mind is teeming with ideas. Too often these ideas are systematically throttled or strangled in the school system which looks only for the right answers that are in the back of the book. What is in the back of the head is rarely encouraged to move to the front. Now, I w would like to read around this issue of fantasy and how much fantasy these kids are allowed. Just a few lines from a book by Nancy McCormick Rambush, founder and headmistress emeritus of the Whitby School, the president of the American Montessori Society. She says, uh, in a Montessori class, there is a significant absence of so-called play material. This is due not to the absence of recognition that children work and play interchangeably, but due to the fact that Montessori recognized that a reality-bound school situation may prove more beneficial to the child in order to, his, to release his creative forces at a time when he is incapable of distinguishing fact from fantasy. And in another part she says, in Montessori classes there is an env environmental emphasis on reality. While fairy tales and folk tales are pleasurable for children who are able to distinguish fact from fancy, they can be disturbing to children unable to make these distinctions. <coughs> there are opportunities for expression of fantasy through writing and painting and free play in Montessori classes. These opportunities are less marked than those of many conventional nursery schools, though of course they vary from culture to culture. Exactly, uh, Dr. Lintner, and I'm sure as a psychiatrist, you would have to agree that if you have a child who mixes up fact and fancy, then the exercises that stress fact are what this child needs, <coughs> not more fantasizing. I agree completely, I do too. Dr. And Fitch. not at the age of two and years and nine months, Dr. There Fitch. is opportunity for it, except no. that where you have a child that mixes the two up, and this may be a point where we have a point of difference. The fact is that one of the purposes of a child becoming acquainted with his environment yes. is to get him to recognize reality. And how does and he do it? And if he constantly mixes it up, then you surround him with an environment that is real, that presents him with tasks 
where he, for example, manipulates then he's, it. Then these feelings and lifts are going to disappear? No, no. no. But he then gradually becomes acquainted with the various dimensions, the facts of reality, uh -huh. and gradually I, he grows yes. to become acquainted well, I, with yes. reality. I think, I I think if I may say that, I think now we've come at this moment, I think, to the crux of the disagreement. I've been listening, and I've been deliberately staying out because uh, I'm reminded, if I may, you have a moment. A chance no, no, I don't want to. I'm reminded <laughs> of a South African adventure when uh, husband and wife were having a dispute on the street, and I had my microphone going. Someone said, Get out of the way, and I did. <laughs> and thus here, too. But I think that's at this the moment, terminated. I think at this, at this moment, uh, this, this, this is the essence, it seems to me, as an outsider of the con one of the one of the conflicts, is this question of fantasy play, the age of the child, as uh, Dr. Fleege says, he must at some stage determine the difference between fact and fantasy. Gradually. At the same time, and Hannah agrees with him, at the same time, Dr. Littner and Faye Balling are saying a child at that age. So this seems to be the question, yes. doesn't I, it? I, I could think I, you know, this Hannah is and then Faye. tremendously by. Well, the, the one uh, man whom I call to mind is Piaget. Mm -hmm. And in terms of um, origins of intelligence mm -hmm. being the, mm -hmm. the, the various the, levels the of various levels of which a child child's mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's not thrown into a completely, you know, a hard, cold world mm -hmm. type mm -hmm. of environment. But it's, for an example, in the classroom, uh, some of the schools that I observe have practical life type things, mm -hmm. but they aren't real. Mm -hmm. In other words, the child pretends to do things. Mm -hmm. He pretends to iron with on, a, mm -hmm. on an ironing board that can't possibly work mm -hmm. with an iron that doesn't mm -hmm. work. And our difference would be that we have an iron that does work. Well, I would be The child yes. does iron, and he does, he does these tasks, which we call practical life, but they are real tasks. Well, could I suggest then that he, uh, that he uh, it would be far more profitable if he could have this real iron that really works, and I have seen them in the good child development mm -hmm. schools, within a dollhouse situation so that through play he could work out some of his problems regarding his parents, which, as Dr. Littner pointed out last time, is his first problem at this stage. His first problem is not to, no to do the number work and not to trace the A. His first problem is to get to know himself, and he's not going well, to I get it your way. perfect agreement. Yeah. No, to, to go no Just a minute. I, let me finish, please. <laughs> I wanted to do, uh, quote a few authorities. You have told me about research. I have here on this, uh, on my paper, right in front of me, I have authorities from New York, authorities from California. The latest thinking in the child development world. A book that it was put out by the people who had an experimental lab school in Los Angeles, California. And these are the things which we have feel are important in 1964, based on a contributions from Montessori, from Piaget, from Frabel, from Pestalozzi. We are using them all. Now, this statement I w is my primary quarrel with you. He learns through play to do the everyday things of life, trying on the adult world, so to speak, as he imitates what he sees and hears. This is a child's way of learning. You say that a child's way of learning is through work. I say not that it's a child. Not exclusively. But, right. but not on the adult level. You're, you're putting an adult right. work a connotation. Child, a child needs to play with other children Correct. who are in somewhat the same stage of learning as he is. Through group play with his age mate, he, mates, he learns many lessons in adjusting to the demands of others. Self-reliance and the ability to get along in the world we live in are developed through early group play. We have no... When we put up our hands, it's not because right. we want to Dr. Dr. Littner and then Dr. Fleege. 
I want to register the strongest possible disagreement with the notion that the way one helps a child distinguish fantasy from reality is by squashing the fantasy before it has a chance to come out by showing him what reality is. I think that most people who have studied children say that the child, if he is to learn the difference, must bring out his fantasies must have a chance to experiment with them to discover what is realistic and unrealistic and only in that way within the context of a relationship with a nursery school teacher whom he admires only in that way will he ever pin down what is unrealistic and realistic to not allow this to come out but to present him with the reality is going to cause him to keep his fantasy in and if you want to make business for psychiatrists, oh, I, I have a mixed opinion here, but that is not the way the child learns to distinguish fantasy from reality. All not I can complete. say, Dr. Lintner, is that there is considerable amount of research which is going on now because of what Freud did and emphasized this matter of the emotions, this matter of fantasy play, and uh, so on. And it seems to me that they are getting closer and closer to the recognition of Montessori. You see. The, I'm afraid what uh, you're trying to do is get Montessori jockeyed into a position that's opposite of what you hold. The thing is, if you read Montessori, you find out that she would not make this statement. Now, uh, Faye, you just said your main bone of contention yes. was this matter of play. The fact is, you see, Montessori does not say that a child can't learn through group activity, that a child doesn't learn through play. Recognized, he does, except she goes one step further. And this is what we feel is experimental about the Montessori approach. It is not limited mainly to nursery, the so-called nursery school, which emphasizes play. But in addition, that plus Well, this is exactly where I disagree. You say that it is not limited. Montessori is so limited in its environment, it leaves out Ten basic things which I think Faith, a child needs. I, I, I think one, one of the big well, problems, Hannah, and this, Hannah. this is an experience that we've come into, which is quite, at least at Ancona, we've had the great fortune of having um, three Dutch teachers yes. who come from a system where Montessori is has been taken for granted for years. They're part of the public school mm -hmm, system, mm -hmm. and they have introduced to us, which is very revealing, dolls and a play play corner area, mm -hmm. and being, you know, having been trained in the grand tradition of American Montessori, I was, you know, slightly skeptical of this. Mm -hmm. And we found, much to our surprise, that the children don't use them. Oh. They're given this opportunity, they're there in the classroom, mm -hmm. and you will find one or two children who need it, mm -hmm. and the opportunities there are taken. Mm -hmm. But as a body of children, it's, it's completely ignored. Yes. And when they have a choice of these activities. So I would say to you, as Montessori expands, as we, as we become more sure mm -hmm. of ourselves, mm -hmm. that, that um, these things are being introduced and our results are really being upheld because yes, of this. I would like to make this play. two comments My before. Next. Okay. Uh, uh, Dr. Around and then Dr. this Blake. issue of play, I think we have to be fairly certain of uh, what are the facts. It seems to me that Mrs. Bowling and I are trying to present what the Montessori people are writing. This is from a paper presented at the National Catholic Education Association Convention in 1961 by the same Nancy McCormick Rambush. And she says, if children are to develop attitudes towards work and learning that are realistic forerunners of those they are expected to possess at the age of five or six, society should demand that they stop playing and start learning. 
Yes, Duck now feet. I happen to know this McCormick, Nancy McCormick. Well, Nancy's been on the program. Yes, and this, of course, is one aspect, and you take anything out of context, and it uh, you can make it false. The fact is... Would you like to read I, the article? I, I know this, and he I was there at the meeting. Sure. You see, this is not, to take that, one would conclude that she doesn't think that play has a role in the development of a child, which is absolutely false. And I would like to invite Faye out to see, for example, the play activities. Now, you were out I there would. maybe a couple of times. We know this uh, thing. We've been out there lots more. I mm -hmm. would not have the nerve to stay, stand here and say. Okay. Because we do have play activities. It is recognized. I would think in some areas where children don't have this, like a culturally deprived yeah. area, you would have to have more of that. Now, the point that Dr. Lintner was trying to make was that, you see, again, it's this either-or business of squashing fantasy. Mm -hmm. No, it is you learn through fantasy. You learn through reality. Well, I'd like some examples. And then he quoted, for example, that um, uh, there is a time when you must learn to distinguish, and he seemed to indicate that um, this was done only through a relationship with an admired nursery school teacher. Mm -hmm. I would question this. I think the evidence shows that you can learn this not only through a single straight-laced one avenue of a relationship between persons, you can learn the difference, and a child learns the difference between reality and fantasy through a variety of means. That's right, and you don't have the and variety. And this is what we you emphasize. You can program a computer without a relationship. No, Hannah, I'd like to say this, that over and over again in, the, in your material and in your practice, you say to, you, to us and to everyone that the, the material teaches the child. The material is presented to the child. The child uses the material and educates himself. In one in one aspect of this, well, yes. But, just, just but, 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 to but limit, not exclusively. You know, to Hannah. limit this as a diet is, is ridiculous. This is, I think this would be the uniqueness of Montessori, that we have these things. In but addition we have to so much the personal more. relationships. Well, I would be delighted if what you said were so, and if it was as varied as I have not found it to be. All I know is that there are no books, there is no real the, music. The fave, we can't permit This is absolutely for example, we have all that Scott Forsman has in the pre-reading and the reading material. We have all that uh, Holt Reinhardt and Winston has, and if you know their programs, they are excellent books to uh, prepare a child to read. This is there. You may not, at that particular time when you visited, have seen it. One of the things we feel, this is unique to yeah. Montessori, yeah. that you must have an environment that's not too cluttered, not uh -huh. too disorderly, mm -hmm. not too distracting, mm -hmm. but to have that material with which the, each child, as he is developing, if he's working in that area, then this material is out. Mm -hmm. If there are no children at this particular mm -hmm. day working with that, mm -hmm. then this is put away. Uh -huh. So as to uh, surround the child. And other material is brought out. Yes, right. there is a great variety. This is why I think it's quite unfair, you see, if you visit one time, and then you conclude this is all they I have. I didn't visit one see, time. See, what we probably have to do is go to the cupboards and open up and show Maybe. all the rich variety may, of material. I may I would visited, like that. but they wouldn't let me in. May, may, may uh, we now shift the scene I'd of like battle? Answer this. May we now shift the... Oh, you well, can't one, No, there's one <laughs> thing that Dr. Littner says they wouldn't let him in. Let me say that at the beginning of this year, I called up six nursery schools. We have 19 in the Oak Park area. None of them said, this was October the 15th or 19th, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. and they all said, it's too early in the school year, we'd like to have you, but later. Mm -hmm. Now, we have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. We didn't the first three years, mm -hmm. but we found out that the teachers are getting these kids introduced, and some children have been here one day, mm -hmm. some others, mm -hmm. and we feel that really you You're don't get a to picture. You're referring to last week also? Uh, 
No, we oh. have already had dozens of people. In fact, we had uh, half a dozen people there this morning. Dr. Fleege, uh, everybody, I think this particular point has been raised. It's food for discussion, I think, for the people listening to the program. We'll undoubtedly replay this program several times. This next question, I was about to come to the question that uh, Dr. Lipton just pointed out. You raised a third objection at the beginning. Yes, we have. The effect of the Montessori technique on the child and the relation to his mother and home. Isn't this the Very much theme? so. And the I emotional think this is extremely yes. important yes. in terms of what it seems to me is automating an attempt to automate the mother-child relationship. Let me just uh, bring out, uh, I am now reading again from uh, Nancy Rambush's book, How the Mother May Help the Child Learn How to Wash His Hands. In preparing for the hand washing, the pitcher is filled with tepid water by the mother. She then kneels or squats to demonstrate with the child standing at her right or left depending on his handedness, which we assume the mother knows. Obviously, there are many ways to wash hands. The point behind the structuring of this activity is to show the child a way that, if done consistently, always works and is satisfying to him. She would then do approximately the following. One, the mother pours the water into the basin, about half filling it. In so doing, she is careful to stop just at the moment of pouring after having tipped the pitcher in order to better control the flow of water. Two, she sets the pitcher down in the place from which she took it. Three, she places her hands in the water together with palms down and then turns them over. She does this twice to ensure getting the hands thoroughly wet. Uh, Studs, I see you, you recognize the fact that there are 17 steps that are listed here and that she then goes on to say, there are any number of home activities which can be structured in this way by patient mothers. I would say by crazy mothers if this is the way they try to bring up their children. Hannah wants but to reply to that. Hannah. I think, yes, I have I think a this reply is, too. This is well, I'm, I'm now speaking as an individual teacher, and there are many variations, and I think as Montessori grows and as we work within this, that you, I think the problem is you're quoting from sources that are two, was three, four years old. Was this presented this summer, or was it not presented this not, summer? Not in this way, because we've The 17 steps were not presented as part of the curriculum? It could be 13, it could be two, well, whatever it could be one, was, it could but be But the hand-washing technique Certainly. was presented. Yes. Well, then it exists. Because it doesn't say that this is the only way to wash hands. This says this the is child is fascinated with water play and to feel the water. Well, and why does how do I get my hands? Why, does he, no. why can't he just put his hands in the water? Let, let me comment because on Because if you want to, you know, excuse me. Dr. Fleet. I think uh, several of us here know something about educational psychology and what is effective teaching. Yes. No teacher is a real effective teacher with all children unless she knows specifically every little step in any process, whether it's working with fractions, whether it's uh, understanding uh, language, uh, whether it's even hand washing. And a mother no. needs to be told no. how to teach her we child are how to wash his that hands? You do have some children, for example in our school we have uh, ten uh, uh, either mongoloid, seriously retarded children. These children that's different. can, that's right, and so since you do have some children that are all the way from a limited amount of ability all the way to the top, now if I am teaching fractions or if I'm teaching hand washing, uh, some children just the major steps, but unless I know all the steps for even the slowest child, I might reach a child 
and it's ineffective if I'm introducing you. You know, I don't think it's that no. important to wash your hands so much. Well, this <laughs> is maybe. Well, the, apparently, the children do. This is what's well, so nice. Well, then why, why they can't they it? just play with the Yes, water. you can well, continue they, to spoon-feed children wash, by washing their hands for them, the buttoning their coats. Talking and about And children that. don't like that. They want to become independent as early as possible. To try it on their own. Yeah. That's right. Uh, because they, they're introduced. never held to these. This is the only... You know, once you, you present it as a child, and then you leave the child. Why and the is child mother Why do you have this? to present it this way? This, this would and be a point other that things, I would just... And many other things. won't like it. Yeah, when I read uh, some of the other uh, things. Well, I, 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 I would like to answer Dr. Lindner's statement that Montessori is mechanizing the mother-child relationship and destroying spontaneity. One of the central planks in the uh, Montessori approach to the child, and incidentally, the first one who was... Uh, a child development uh, school. The first one who emphasized the child development approach was Montessori herself. So the essence of the child development school is really the Montessori approach. Now, one, part. one of the central planks is to recognize the individual differences in a child, mm -hmm. and secondly, that he is a spontaneous learner. He loves to learn by himself. Now, the purpose of teaching mothers some of this is so that the child, you can, uh, the mother can cut out the ro uh, robbing the child of opportunities to become independent, of learning how to dress himself, how to wash himself, how to clean his face, how to feed you himself. You know, really, I think that this is the thing that upset me more than anything, was that, that, that you yeah. accused, uh, I can say us, when I talk about the Child Development School, of being intellectual robbers. And I can only to say... To the extent I that you teach a child things that, that he can learn by himself. Oh, I can only say that you are intellectual as well as emotional robbers because you do not provide the child with a million ways in which he can learn. This is simply left out. Maybe now, just, no, just, wait, just, an answer just, to this emotional robbing. The essence of the emotional satisfactions mm -hmm. comes in a sense of achievement. Right. Now, every child has certain basic drives, the need to achieve, the mm -hmm. need to be doing something, the mm -hmm. need to feel worthwhile, the need mm -hmm. to be... Uh, secure. Now, when he can do things by himself, he just thrills inside. He blossoms That's emotionally. Right. But if he does not, if he's not given the individual skills with which to enjoy these inner emotional Why can't he try it the way he can? Why does he, he have is. to be given skills? Right. He is. Doctor these skills, just one second, these Doctor, skills are as a result of studying ways in which children learn I have seen how children to do learn these in things. Other ways. And there are a variety of ways, oh, and yes. a variety of ways are taught. Well, I'm talking about more variety. Could I just say something? One of the things that disturbed me the most about reading the Montessori literature was the implicit depreciation of the mother that runs through much of the material. For example, this is a book called Montessori in the Home. The present pamphlet, it says, uh, no, Parents have been criticized for trying to make the most fruitful these extremely important early years. Such terms as pushiness, pressure, over-intellectual stress have been hurled at parents. Unfortunately, in many cases, this is rightly so. Uh, for example, when thinking about the environment, and this is a quote, in which a child thrives, of more importance than toy shelves, closet pegs, or small chairs is an atmosphere of calmness and quiet. 
The child should be sheltered from the hustling world, the bustling mother, and these little cracks at the mother. There is always taken for granted this poor, stupid woman. She really doesn't know how to take care of her kids. We're going to have to help her. And I think that's one of the reasons why they list 17 steps for the mother to help her uh, help her child wash his hands. And that's no, another thing. No more no in the sense Hannah. than in people read Dr. Years, Spock, than Hannah, they read and then Dr. Cassell. That's right. The, the implication isn't there, but th that a lot of parents are confronted with, you know, what do I do in a situation? That's My right. child's doing this, doing this, that's doing right. this. Um, and we've had any number of parents who have, who have come and said, since uh, speaking now of younger mm -hmm. children, I've noticed this child's need for order. The mm -hmm. my, you know, I don't now I respond, now I see why my child was upset when such and such happened. And give us countless demonstrations. You know, just, Hannah's just raised a Pepsi, uh, Dr. Well, Richards, yes, part of what you're about to say. say. This, this element of this well-behaved, well polite child. I'm sure this is part of yes. this. There are oh, dozens what, what of well books on the market and apparently in great demand on the part of parents who want to know more mm -hmm. about their children and how can they be a more effective mother. How, for example, can they uh, deal with a child uh, so that he does become more independent? And so they are read. So now this book here apparently was written in answer to a request, uh, how can I apply mm -hmm. some of these mm -hmm. insights within the home? I, in four years, have never heard, and I've been at dozens of parent conferences mm -hmm. in which a directress <laughs> went through 17 steps and advocated that the parents do the same. I have never. Now, the fact is, the, the directress book is written for circulation to parents. Yes, perhaps well, to give them an insight. This is for the teacher to understand the process. I know of books now on the modern math that go through every blessed, bloody step in order to give the parents an understanding. I don't think they advocate that the parents then go through all these steps, but if the parent understands and a child is having a difficulty at a given level, the parent might be able to I help. I think perhaps this is the thing that, that bothers me too, that the implication is that uh, a Montessori nursery school will really and truly help the child to learn quicker to learn better, to do better in school, and that if you don't enroll your child in a Montessori school, you're depriving the child in some way. Well, I'm saying, I'm trying to say the way it comes across. I mean, I think that you're, this is the way you're selling it, and I think if you want to sell it, it's a good way. I'm just questioning the validity of this. And I just think that it's, it's unfair, it's cruel to exploit the normal anxiety feelings that most parents have. They think this is going to be an answer. It isn't going to be an answer. It isn't an answer because they've... On what research now have you been able to draw that conclusion? This is a supposition on your part, you see. On the, on the supposition... probably this no, will be true, no. you see. Give us specific because I, I would really... I. You know, I, I would right, say I'll the same concern, but I don't think it's true. All right, I'll give you a specific. I think you're reading it into this. No, I'm not reading it into it. I am seeing the fact that there is not opportunity for children to explore at their level. Now, one of the things no, wait, I, I think... Wait, I want you to go back and answer yes. the comment about the parent anxieties. Yes, what about that? Well, no, I mean, this is the statement you just you said. Mean, right? and I, if the, you have the a material choice being between sold. sending your child to university or sending him to yeah. a Montessori school, send him to the Montessori school. That's right. School. That's a statement that's made. If yes. you have a there choice. There are some people yeah. who feel. Well, this is your that, own. Uh, I yes, think that's I, a let me terrible say, thing. Let me tell you my convictions. Yes. As one who has been in education and child development at from the very beginning all the way up through graduate school, mm -hmm. I am quite disappointed with the proportion of uh, people who come to university who have a sincere curiosity and love for learning, who have a positive attitude toward it. And uh, 
one goes back, and then you find out they had a record all the way down. They never became good readers. They had a hatred for mathematics mm -hmm. and so on. So it is my conviction now that part of this goes back to an uh, unfortunate introduction mm -hmm. to the child, uh, of the child, to formal learning. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I believe, and this is why we think this is an experiment, yes. so that others might come and take a look-see mm -hmm. and study it, that if we could so introduce these children so that these inner satisfactions from their initial contacts mm -hmm. develop, then they will have this curiosity about learning. Mm -hmm. Some of their keenest enjoyments have been associated with learning. You know, Not I might, all, yeah. but some. You know, I might and a positive attitude. Yeah. Then, if they can get the right start, yeah. if we can help them build within themselves I these foundations, this, oh yes, I think that's my real This quarrel. then goes on up, you yes, see. Because you but if they get an anti-attitude, a right. hatred for school, that's they're right. forced to go to school mm -hmm. because yeah. they have to. The parents that's make right. This, I think, is most unfortunate. Yeah, I think this is really my chief thing that I mm -hmm. quarrel with you, is because I don't think that at the age of two years and nine months that the way to build reading readiness is not talking. I think oh, that, oh, just a minute, they talk faith. constantly. Yeah. They're beautiful when they talk. Yeah, but the things they but say. Oral, oral communication is not given the place of honor and the place of importance as it is in a child development nursery school because I don't see how you can have that much verbal communication if you are so hung up on silence. Well, no, I don't see how you know. How much of a day do you think Faye is spent over to the silence game? Or of a week, let's put it that way. Well, you know, I think the most wonderful thing... Well, no, answer thing, my question. How much I do you think? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Well, if you don't now, know, just then a minute, you see just you're a drawing you a conclusion that me, isn't verified. Okay, you offered, you offered me an invitation at the beginning of this program to come and observe. Yes. This, if nothing else comes of this program, if it will give me an opportunity to freely have open conversations and discussions with you on this, if we can really throw this thing wide open, Absolutely. I would feel, Studs, that you have done a fabulous thing. Can and I intend of course you are doing to pursue it. this. <laughs> yes. Can I pick up one other aspect? And I'm going to take you up on okay. it. We want you to come. Yeah. This is By the way, we I, if we may just make this parenthetical sure. comment, we'll hear from Hannah, from Dr. Fleege, and Dr. Littner, and, and Faye again. I think that the purpose of this roundtable is not so much a meeting of the mind as an airing of the differences of approach. Clearly the goals are the same, yes. obviously the goals are the same for the fulfilled, for the child to become a fulfilled human being. But there apparently is a difference as to the technique, as to the approach, and this is the purpose of this particular roundtable. And obviously there will be no solution, there's not to be any meeting of the minds of this afternoon. Let's call this a coexistence get-together during the summit <laughs> meeting. See? Uh, but at the same time, it's primarily designed for the listeners themselves to debate, to yes. discuss these questions, yes. and to, to investigate it further. Yes. Now then, with yes, that, I would way, like to come back to this Dr. emotional uh, thing. You see, actually, the whole program is designed for an emotional, a healthy emotional outlet of the child. Mm. Now, I think uh, the average adult uh, can understand what we're talking about here when they realize that if your emotions are bottled up, if you're not succeeding, mm -hmm. if you're constantly frustrated, this isn't a healthy situation. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can, however, uh, confront the child with those activities that answer deep needs within him, mm -hmm. then this emotional enrichment, uh, letting out the emotion, and I don't understand Dr. Littner at all when he says about a delayed emotional reaction. This is reading into it that it is an imposed thing it is not, it is disposing the child to do this at his level. A second point, 
Uh, Dr. Lentner seems to object to some of the literature that's written in which they outline a specific way of teaching a child a given thing. Mm -hmm. In um, my experience as a teacher and as a teacher of teachers, one of the things we make is uh, the difference between an effective teacher and an ineffective one is principally in this area. The ineffective teacher surrounds the child with a confused approach and they are guessing at what has to be done. The effective teacher is so clear that she has analyzed exactly what she's trying to put across, presents it one step at a time so the child can grasp it. This is what is one of the strong points of the Montessori approach in introducing the children to the various things that we no. think they might learn. It's the specificity, one thing at a time. Not confusing, but clarity. Simplicity. At the child's level of readiness, at the pace in which he can take it, and then, if you go into a Montessori class, you don't see a teacher's desk, you don't see the you don't whole see group doing the thing, you see, you see all of these individuals working at their own level, which is really the implementation of child development theory. Uh, for many years, one of the things that confused me and uh, sort of frustrated me in training primary school teachers and others was that we talked uh, wonderfully about individual differences, about the necessity of individualization of instruction. And then I would go out a few years later and see these people in the mm -hmm. classrooms and they just violated them right yes, and left. Of course. And it is my experience, and this is why I'm rather excited about this experiment. You go in there and really, the best theory in learning theory and child development is being implemented well, above all individualization of instruction. Well, I would disagree. For one thing, if you have 18 uh, children and two teachers, and the two children are being, uh, are being served, many, many children in a Montessori classroom are sitting around and waiting. Oh, no! no. Faye, this They're, is not okay, the case. Okay, I would be so delighted. I want you to come, please, because be this wrong. will... But I would like to say here, there's one thing that really gets me is this business about the, the children uh, at their own level. When two children have an altercation, Hannah, may I ask you, do you have a principle where that you try to let them work it out? It seems to me I see this going through your material, that you do not interfere too quickly, that if the children can work it out on their own, you feel this is better for their development of self-reliance. Unless somebody that hits correct? the other one over the head it, with it. it, it you, know, you feel it with the situation? Yes, 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 yes. Well, I have seen many times where there is an altercation, and the way the situation is resolved is that the stronger child wins out, the weaker child withdraws, sucks his thumb, quietly cries, does not go to the teacher for help because it, the child by this time knows that the teacher is not going to run over and help him. I, d I oh. say this child no, this, is look, not so learning. Look, look at what, I don't know what this the teacher so was doing. This is so contrary to everything this we've is seen. Not, this doesn't go on. All, I mean, you know, you, it might happen, say, once. If you're, if you're bogged down and you cannot get away from a group activity with the children or with an activity where you're involved with one child. But as a teacher, if I, if I was standing there, if I was free, if I was capable of going over, at some point, no matter if it may be, if I can't do it immediately five minutes later, as soon as I could, yes, I would go over and give the support to the child. Mm -hmm. Or I would do it immediately. There are many instances where, for instance, a child in a, in a battle in my classroom, what, yeah. whatever's happened, you find out what has happened. And just, you know, 
I have heard justice. this adjudicated. Yeah. All right. You know what I think uh, with uh, Dr. Lipner, you're about to, if we yes, could make this, I, no, I, I think that we have, no, <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're going to hear from each of you, certainly. Sure. But I think that we're never going to cover, obviously we're not going to cover all the ground of difference and of agreement, but I think what we have been doing is airing certain key anxieties on the part of those who challenge Montessori, certain responses by those who are Montessori advocates. I would suggest this as a sort of a, a last go round for now. You know, each one can state his piece, and then we'll probably call this chapter one, let's Good. say. Of, uh, was this, I think this calls for Wonderful. other meetings, obviously. Yes. So where do we begin? Doc, uh, I think we're, uh, we right. should hear from Dr. Lipner Dr. Lipner. Well, I wanted to... Uh, mention my two concerns because we won't have a chance to go into them and then say one final word. The, the reason why I call the others questions is because the parents basically have to make the final decision as to what they want for their child and if what they want for the child is what I see as an automated program child then that's their responsibility. But the concerns that I have are in another area. One concern has to do with the implication that the culturally deprived child the it will do well and that this is the answer for the culturally deprived child and uh, this to my mind is a an unproven thing and as a matter of fact I would think the culturally deprived child if the cause of the cultural deprivation is an emotional deprivation at home the built-in tendency to emotional isolation in a Montessori school will traumatize just such a child. That's one concern. The other has to do with the issue raised by Dr. Fleege, which has to do with what happens to children later on and the issue of school dropouts. To listen to some Montessori speakers, the implication is given that these, if children went to a Montessori school, this would decrease the number of school dropouts. To my mind, this is the rankest nonsense, and it's a dangerous concept, because in view of the great multi-determination of school dropouts, and in view of the extreme gravity of this problem today, this kind of a magical gimmick, which I have not seen any evidence for at all, is a dangerous concept. Well, th those are the two concerns. The uh, final thing that I would like to say at this time, Studs, why are you looking so worried? No, I'm not. I'm feeling quite... I'm just keeping out of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, my own impression of the Montessori system is that it had a great deal of value in the late 1800s when Maria Montessori was reacting to the extreme rigidity of the day. To my mind, its use today is an anachronistic throwback and an attempt to answer very complex problems with gimmicky methods. I think we produce enough emotionally disturbed children as it is, and I would seriously question employing a technique which unwittingly, but still deliberately, attempts to program a child emotionally and automate the mother-child relationship. Uh, yes, Studs, I am a bit disappointed in Dr. Lintner's uh, apparent uh, not preferring to listen to what we have had to say and to pointing out to him that uh, well, the things he has written in advance of the program, he continues to read without making his remarks relevant to the discussion. He has uh, written a number of cliches like automated child and emotional isolation of the child and so on and anachronistic throwbacks to the 1800s and that uh, he would like to write Montessori off apparently as a, 
uh, gimmicky method. Uh, all I can say is, Dr. Lindner, I am sure you could not write and say these things if you gave yourself the opportunity of knowing what you're talking about firsthand and visiting the school, and I extend a warm invitation to you to come out, spend a day, a week, whatever time is available, and we will certainly do our best to make you feel at home. But will, I want you to you look at it with an open the books mind. Too? <laughs> I don't think we We're have to rewrite any books because as to the anachronistic really throwbacks, what you're then saying is that men of great reputation <coughs> at a number of great universities who are writing the very latest books on child development and research, take for example this recent review of child development research published by the Russell Sage Foundation this yes, past I year. Know that one. Take the work that was done by Stevenson of the Child Development School up at Minnesota mm -hmm. on child psych. And you can quote study after study after study which says and which underscores as a result of research the validity, the adequacy, the appropriateness of the principles which the Montessori schools are aiming to implement. And uh, this business about emotional isolation, Dr. Lintner, we have just stressed the fact that the whole approach is to emphasize the opportunity of the child to have proper emotional outlet. And uh, to write this type of thing is simply uh, blinding yourself to the facts as they operate in a Montessori school. I have one other remark, and that is, I would like to say, one of the um, reasons why I'm so uh, interested in this experimental approach uh, using the, um, and testing and evaluating the effectiveness of the Montessori approach in 1964 in, with the Metropolitan Child is, in addition to the fact that the latest research underscores the validity of the Montessori approach, it is the fact that I am not quite satisfied with what the uh, preschools, the nursery schools, are doing. Mm. I think that many will agree, I think all of us perhaps around the table here agree, that there is an increasing interest in the child of three, four, and five. And this is due to the fact that for the first time in history, these children are the recipients of a cultural impact of so many different impressions via mass media, television, and so on, that they're ready for school, really, and to learn things outside the home before the schools are ready for them. Now, this in no way, absolutely in no way, undercuts the value of the mother. Not at all. The interest of mo those who are writing in Montessori about how it can be applied in the home is to help the mother become more truly a mother, answer the child's emotional needs within the home, help develop in him initiative and confidence in himself, independence that he can do things by himself. I find in the nursery schools that I visited, and I've been doing this for a number of years, and uh, I think they're doing a, a marvelous job. Some uh, of them. I think they're, yes, I think some of them are nothing but babysitting mm -hmm. establishments. Uh, I think that uh, maybe they are over-impressed with the life adjustment school that emphasize group activity and socialization of the mm -hmm. child mm -hmm. and neglected a um, programmed uh, approach to help introduce the child at readiness levels, at his own pace, uh, this matter of becoming independent, uh, this matter of um, learning number concepts, this matter of clarifying his percepts through uh, various activities that he gets a tremendous kick out of to develop his sharpness of eye, ear, and so on. And it's the absence of these activities in the nursery school that I think is the plus factor in the Montessori approach.
So, all right, my, my uh, turn. Fay Balling. Uh, well, I would say that if I could pass a magic right now and uh, somehow or other uh, combine the best of both approaches, and maybe this is what Studs had in mind as a goal for the future, it would be simply wonderful. My chief quarrel is that when you say at the child's level, we are not agreeing. You are spending a great deal of time developing small muscle coordination with your uh, exercises with the rice pouring and all of these things so that the child's small muscle will develop earlier, uh, where I feel that the small muscle will develop earlier anyway. I would like to see more emphasis on what he has at this time and use that to the fullest. I don't think you have enough opportunity for large muscle development. I don't see the emphasis on outdoor play equipment that you need. I feel that there are basic things that a, ch that a child needs to learn that he can only learn through non-structured play material, which is absent from a Montessori classroom. And this is the reason that I am concerned, as I said in my initial call to studs. I am not as concerned with what they are doing as I am concerned with what they are not doing. And so I feel that the learning, the valuable things that you want them to learn, they can learn better, easily, with less emotional trauma in a school which does not have so many structured activities, which has more fluidity and more uh, opportunity for the child to be more natural and more naturally joyful. Hannah McLaren. Well, I, I'm not going to answer that because I, th I think it's just a matter of interpretation and how we see children in much of this, except for the fact um, that we do have a, a tremendous amount of gross motor activity, which is this, which would be the opposite of the small. Outdoor and, and activity. Give me an Outdoor example. Activity. Um, a lot jungle of gym. walking, in, jungle gym, walking on the line, a lot is calisthenics. Walking on the line, this a lot I can't of get over. Large Why does he have to walk on the line? Excuse oh, me. because they love it. Have you ever watched a child activity. walk down a street and not try and hit that crack? It's a great fascination to them. At what age? Uh, well, mine do it at three. I just happen, you know, I, I, not, I assume as soon as they become capable of, of just more than uh, mo uh, mobilizing. Then they get into hop, skip, and jump. Yeah. Well, but, Hannah, I don't want this to sound too final no. because it's not the final no, word. But this is not I famous will. last words, but let's say <laughs> for the moment, for this session, Hannah is winding all up right, this particular. I'm sorry. We've all had our turns. And Hannah, your, uh, your credo, or whatever you wish <laughs> to say as a result of this. I think. Um, especially at Montessori, especially at Ancona, which I'm most involved with, that we don't have the final answer, and we don't pretend to, but I think that we feel that for a, for a beginning structure, for a way of looking at the child, for the results, that within the Montessori framework, which is, is a large part, but not the be-all and the end-all of a child development, that Montessori does provide the insights, the corollaries, um, that is as Dr. Fleege has said, are substantiated by new and continuing research. And I think that, that this attitude should be kept very much in mind, that when something is written down, that was written two years ago, that we should always be looking forward, and this is what's going on mm -hmm. in, in, in our classroom. That's very important. And I think we come to the child with a very humble aspect, a very hu humble consideration of the child, and work with the child within this framework. And, for my own feelings, the results are very proven. I think at the risk of repeating oneself, since uh, obviously I say this is a beginning and certainly not an end for this discussion, and clearly the sequel, at least the sequel for this particular program, the sequel of it, is the discussion at home, 
with the listeners, the groups, the individuals who are there for. Obviously, further discussion is needed. One of the key aspects of society today is the child, certainly the preschool child, his being, in a sense, the uh, Wordsworth phrase, the father of the man. And there are different approaches to use, to be approached, to be used, of course. There's the Montessori approach, the child development approach. There's a great deal of discussion. There's a great deal of disagreement, agreement as to goals. Let's call this chapter one. And Dr. Urban Fleege, Vice President of Paul University, who is advocating the Montessori technique, and with him is Hannah McLaren of the Ancona School Society on the south side. What's the address of it? I'll give you a plug. 40, 4770 South Dorchester. Dorchester. Do you want a phone number? That, what's the phone number? 924-2356. Uh, that follows the Montessori <laughs> technique. And on the other side, Dr. Nora Lettner of the Institute of Psychoanalysis and Faye Balling, advisor to the uh, Chicago Teachers College and Nursery School of Education, taking the challenge, the challenge to Montessori. So let's call this chapter one of the first summit meeting. And uh, you, ladies and gentlemen at home, parents, discuss it. Thank you very much.